If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Back in the studio again. Yeah, you had uh, Gosh, from you home yesterday. I yes, day, I took a day off yesterday, but what? I still came on the show. Are you allowed to take a day off? Apparently, oh. uh, just spontaneously decided. Hey, nothing much is going on, but something's always going on. There's always something going on. That's the amazing thing about this business. So let's talk about a big thing that's going on right now, and that's this logging plan that came down from yeah. the BC government yesterday. So this is their old growth logging plan, and this thing is massive, man. Like two point six million hectares of forest land in BC potentially to be what they call deferred mm-hmm. so no no logging maybe well, no but logging. they want to go through there's a consultation process with first nations and it's it's kind of there's a lot of sort of dominoes have to fall here but the industry is freaking out like the bc council of forest industries yesterday said that if this thing is implemented you could have 18,000 job losses and 20 sawmill mm-hmm. shutdown yeah so i i think that's worst case scenario but uh, yeah, if this is fully implemented, uh, depending on the timing, it does affect, uh, any, according to Kofi, anywhere from f- the closure of 14 to 20 mills. This is primarily coastal. It's not all of it, though. Some of it's in the interior, but most of the old growth operations are on coastal in Vancouver Island. So, and again, worst case scenario, 18,000 job loss. I talked to an executive of a major forest company last night. He says, we just got creamed. You know, wow. we, We've been absolutely uh, bl- uh, creamed here. Uh, with major job losses. But again, devil's in the details. We don't know about the timing. We don't know about how this is going to work in consultations with First Nations. If First Nations want to continue logging, one assumes those logging operations will continue. But we'll see. So it's just basically a, a pretty big sm- smack to the side of the head of the. Of the did they not? Did they get blindsided by this? I mean, was there no, no consultation with them? No, this has been going on for some time. Con- Katrina Conroy, the forest minister, has been talking about this for for months now. In in regards to whenever Ferry Creek comes up in the legislature, she's referred to this process. It's ongoing. It's it's going to come out. Well, it's come out now, and uh, the industry thinks it's uh, getting cream. But again, we don't know how it's going to get implemented. And the timing of it. Okay, let's listen to Katrine Conroy here, the BC Forest Minister, on the people who may lose their jobs under this plan. Here's what she had to say. We're going to have a suite of supports in place. Um, we're going to we've got a we're going to bring together a really a coordinated and, and comprehensive uh, package of, of plans that different ministries have been involved in. We're going to uh, create short-term employment opportunities in the sector. We're also going to connect workers if they'd like additional uh, training, education, and you know skills training opportunities that would, through advanced ed. So the forest that minister sounds, this morning was saying that sounds like a classic recipe for transitioning out of the forest industry, retraining. Advanced debt. It means basically getting a different line of work. Yeah, that's amazing. And now a big component here is they're saying that First Nations are playing a critical role here, that this plan will be submitted to First Nations for 
do First Nations have a veto over this stuff? I well, mean, can they? I mean, that's always the question under under it. But uh, you, you look at Ferry Creek here, where the Pashidat First Nations right. wants the operations to continue because they have an economic stake in this. It's their economic livelihood. Lots of First Nations are and, involved in logging. And that will be the case in in various other jurisdictions, which is why I think that um, uh, Council of Forest Industry estimate of job loss and mill closure is probably the worst case scenario. It's probably going to be less than that with First Nations support. Okay, and already going to be job loss, no question. Right, and already you're seeing. Uh, for it was interesting to see the reaction of First Nations on this because they're they're not happy either. So I'm looking at a, a comment here, a press release from the BC First Nations Forestry Council, and they say they were not they were not consulted on this. That there are lots of First Nations in British Columbia that are involved in logging. So here's a quote here from Clay Tyndall, uh, BC Council of First Nations for BC First Nations Forestry Council. And he said, he gives an example, he said, the Lillooat First Nation just spent several million dollars to buy a forest license in their territory so they could have a bigger say in what's going on in their community and employ their people. Now the government comes along and is trying to tell the nation what they can and can't do? You know, well, you know, the government is saying, we're going to consult with you. So presumably, you know, presumably if a First Nation is involved in logging, they can continue, they can tell the my, government, my go away, of, we're going to keep yeah. logging. My read of it is, First Nations, if they're involved in logging, they'll continue to log. Right, so that's not going to make the, the environmentalists Which, happy then. No, already environmentalists are, some of them, some, this plan has got support from some groups, but other groups are very wary of it, saying there's a giant loophole here. Yeah. But uh, again, UNDRIP is trumps the interest of environmental uh, activist groups. Okay. Well, we're gonna dis we'll discuss this further later on the show. We've got a great panel coming up on this with both sides of it. So there'll be lots of opportunity for you to have your say on the open line as well. And this is a huge plan mm -hmm. uh, that we're going to continue to follow closely for you. Let's talk about that decision, Keith, by the Surrey uh, School District here to not mandate vaccination for teachers and school support staff. Surprise you or not surprise? Not surprised at all. So if you put yourself in a, in a school board trustee position, they're looking at the operations of schools, classrooms, and budgets. They're not, looking, they're, not, they're not public health officials. They look at the vaccination rate in Surrey and surrounding districts over 90% in most neighborhoods, uh, in some neighborhoods approaching 95% of first doses. So one assumes that where they draw their teachers from are coming from very highly vaccinated areas. Nevertheless, even a 2% unvaccinated rate amongst thousands of teachers translates into potentially hundreds, hundreds of teachers yeah. not being uh, allowed to teach. And I think school trustees looked at it and went, wait a minute, if we bring in a vaccine mandate and capture 98% of the teachers, that leaves 2% of, not sure how many teachers are, there are in Surrey, but say there's 5,000. There's 6,000 teachers in Surrey. All right, that's 120 teachers suddenly taken out of the system, which uh, means larger class sizes, refiguring classrooms and schools. And it wouldn't begin immediately, of course, because you have to have some time uh, some time given to uh, teachers to actually get vaccinated. You just can't say it starts tomorrow. But that means potentially removing more than 100 teachers out of the system. I think and if, at the end of the day, that's what drove the decision. Right. And if you lose 100 teachers in a school district, which faces strict class size limits and that kind of thing, and suddenly use a bunch of teachers, I mean, this could be very, very difficult to adapt in, to that. Right oh, now. and I think that's what teachers, teachers, I, one trustee I heard from saying, look, we have a, a high vaccination rate, which is true. Yeah. We have a high vaccination rate in health, you know, 90, only 2.6% unvaccinated. But when you apply that, and I've said this time and again, when you apply that small percentage to a big group of people, it produces a big number. Right. And in healthcare, it's 3,300. 
in Surrey, it would be about 120 teachers if okay. it was if it was a two percent. Let's listen to uh, Terry Allen here from the Surrey School District on why they decided no vaccine mandate for teachers. Have a listen. What's most important is that uh, we keep the schools open for the children. If we lost 5% of our workforce, that's 600 people. So, I mean, it would be a huge negative impact on some classes. Okay, so yeah, just precisely making the point that we just talked about. Yeah, I mean, uh, a 2% unvaccinated rate Unvaccination rate is probably the best case scenario. If Terry's number of five percent would be true, well, I, I I would dispute his math there because five percent is six thousand, and my math is three hundred teachers, not six hundred. Yeah, but anyway. exactly. But anyways, you know, three hundred teachers is three hundred teachers, and you start he's, when we're, at a time where we're trying to hire more teachers to bring down class sizes, it's problematic for for uh, the system. So that's why tr- I think trustees looked at the vaccination rate, which is high, and decided, hmm. If we were to implement this, we would lose, uh, for the sake of you know um, getting a few more people vaccinated, we'd lose hundreds of teachers in a setting. And then why Bonnie Henry has not brought in the province-wide mandate for education is there's not evidence of widespread transmission of COVID in the school setting, unlike the hospital sector. It's a different situation, which is why you've seen hospital workers being required to be vaccinated. All right, welcome back to the show. It's Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry is my guest. Phone lines are open. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on your cell. Robin and Kamloops. Hi, Robin. How you doing, guys? Good. Good. There's one small thing you're overlooking as far as the teachers group. There are hundreds of certified teachers in the province waiting for full-time occupation. So you would not have this dramatic loss of teachers, as I'm sure if you check with the Teachers Association, there must be hundreds of them throughout the province. Really? That's a good point. There are a lot of teachers on call. I thought they said there was a teacher shortage. There was a teacher shortage a few years ago. Enrollment has been slowly creeping back up. And also, we're bringing in smaller class sizes. So when you bring in smaller class sizes, you need more teachers. Uh, A number of teachers have been hired on the NDP's watch, but... uh, the caller makes a good point. There are a lot of teachers out there seeking full-time employment, and that could obviously diffuse the situation. I still don't think, though, that these school districts relish the idea of scrambling to replace hundreds of teachers, exactly. though. And I wonder if now that Surrey, which is the largest school district in the province, now that they've said no to this vaccine mandate, do all the other school districts do the same thing? It's interesting to see the number of municipalities bringing in vaccine mandates. Yeah. Victoria is the latest one. You've got Vancouver, December 6th. Everyone there has to, civic employees have to be vaccinated. So municipalities are moving moving at a much uh, brisker pace when it comes to va- vaccine mandates in school districts. All right. Robert in Mission. Hi. Yeah, hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. <clears throat> I just wanted to uh, say that I think it's it's uh, pretty unanimous that we all need to begin to accept that jobs are going to move away from the forest industry, away from the oil and gas. Like These are antiquated industries now. And we need to start going toward like renewables and all that. But it's also important to uh, when you talk about environmentalists, it almost sounds like a dichotomy where it's us or them. The environmentalists are protecting everything that, that, that benefits everyone, right? It's not just about like the oil and gas and the, the sorry, forestry. I know we're talking about forestry here is um, they're just for their own job. Yeah, it's important for job, but it's also important to have clean air to breathe and you know, communities not burning down like Lillooet and the like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think uh, very good points. I think it's a question more of timing and transition. How fast will this happen? 
how much time will people have to tran- make a transition to something else? It can't happen overnight. If it does happen overnight, it does mean huge job loss. If it's if phased in over a number of years, uh, the hurt is sort of felt over a longer period of time. Well, if you look at the reaction to this yesterday, it was kind of the classic split because the industry side was saying this is Armageddon potentially with 18,000 job losses, et cetera, and this is terrible, and it goes too far. The environmental group saying it does not go far enough. They should uh, immediately suspend log- all- logging in all these areas. Similar reaction so, to, to the NDP government's climate action plan, the, the road to 2030, roadmap to 2030, which was released a uh, week before last. Again, some environmental groups praised it. Others said this is taking too long. You have to start, basically cut the oil and gas industry off at the knees right now. Yeah. And that's the, the, the uh, I've got a column out this week on this, the, the, the sort of the problematic area governments of all stripes find themselves in. You can't, if you move too fast, you wreck your economy. If you don't move fast enough, you wreck the climate. So you find that sweet spot, which is the, what they're trying to do in Glasgow right now. I'm not sure they're going to get uh, consensus there. Okay, 604-280-9898 is the number to call. Star 9898 on your cell. John in Mission, hi. Hi, how are you doing? I love your show, and I'll be as quick as I can. Um, my only issue is with this vaccine, with the teachers, is is they want, they, you know, they, they want it to be in a safe environment, which is okay. You know, having children vaccinated, great. But what about the children that go home and have teachers that aren't vaccinated? That's, that, I mean, I just kind of find that there's kind of a... So what, you think the teachers... There. You think the teachers should have been, have mandatory vax, yes? I believe they should be the first ones to set the example for the children. They're teaching children, you know, go get vaccinated, it's good for you. But they're not teaching them what they're, what they're not going to do, right? So okay. I, I just don't oh. get it. And they're supposed to be teachers, educators. Well, they wanted the union wanted the mandatory vaccination. Yeah, and, and again, there's no reason to think teachers have some low vaccination rate. I mean, they did a survey which they've got at least, I think, ninety. Oh, it was high nineties. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, the vast majority of teachers are vaccinated. We're talking literally only a small number of people. But again, put a, there's forty three thousand members of the BC Teachers Federation. If there's only two percent unvaccinated, that's still hundreds of teachers. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's the bottom. Like, like they're saying, well, the reason we're not doing this is because the schools are safe and we don't need to do it. But I think the, the unspoken part of it is they didn't want to deal with scrambling to replace all those teachers. Uh, John in Vancouver. Hey, John. Guys, hey, I, I always find it sad that it's, it always comes down to jobs and not human survival. I mean, we're seeing what's going on with storms and what's happening to our environment and the impact of everything we're doing. And yet the big call is we've got to save jobs. And then recently the, um, the uh, logging industry has put on a commercial saying that only 1% of trees are harvested from old-growth forests. To put it in a realistic number, for every 100 trees they cut, one of them is, uh, is old forest. <laughs> it sounds like an awful lot of trees. Well, okay. Well, you know, now they're saying that if they proceed with these deferrals that were outlined yesterday, you could have uh, thousands of jobs lost. So I think what they're trying to achieve, I mean, this is a government, we've talked about Horgan and his approach to these, uh, these dirt industries, as they say, the resource industries. I don't think this is a guy who typically wants to see large scale job losses. But the forest industry is saying that's what will result if they again, carry through this. Again, I think it's worst case scenario. I don't think it necessarily yeah. will amount to that. Again, the devil's in the details. We don't know. A lot of this stuff is sort of fuzzy. And it's consultation. There's a long consultation, a consultation process. And there's not even an agreement on how much old growth timber there is out there. Yeah. Let's go to Mike and Vernon. Hey, Mike. Morning, gentlemen. Hi. Um, 
the a couple of callers ago, you had a guy come on and said, yeah, just, just end the forestry, end the oil, the sunset industries, so on and so forth. But what he's failing to think about is the fact that we need to build, what, 400,000 homes a year in Canada? What are you going to build them with? Styrofoam, concrete? Mm-hmm. Wood frame is a renewable way to build because you, you we're constantly planting trees. We're now taking out second and starting to move into third generation growth on the same land. Okay. Thanks for the call. I hate, to, I hate to cut you off. We're out of time. Forest industry is not what it was 30, 40 years ago, it, but it's, again, it'd be a shame to label it a sunset industry. Those are important jobs.